The following broadcast is released under a Creative Commons license. I believe in Jesus Christ, the only Son of God. I believe He lived and died, and that He rose again. I believe and trust in Him. Ascended into hell, Christ our living head will one day come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe and trust in Him. I will trust in my Redeemer, sing of His love that lasts. Welcome all to Pastor Yeshua. You've been listening to Creed by Richard Jensen from his album, Order of Service. By way of introduction, Pastor is an acrostic which stands for Preaching All Salvation Through One Redeemer. Our Redeemer, Yeshua, Jesus, is the Hebrew name for the Lord. It means Yahweh, the Lord, is salvation. Translated from Hebrew into the Greek language, the name Yeshua becomes Iesus, The English transliteration for Jesus is Jesus. This program deals with apologetics, questions on and about God, the Bible, and the Christian faith. I take questions and seek by scripture to give answers and encouragement for everyone, including the tough-minded living in today's skeptical society. And now, let's join Pastor Yeshua. Welcome to Pastor Yeshua. In this episode, we take pause to answer a central, pivotal question put to all mankind. The answer to this question will forever and for all eternity place every person into one of two classes. This question posed by Jesus of Nazareth forces us all to examine the identity and claims of Jesus and to decide who he is and what our relationship to him is. Jesus' question forces us each to examine ourselves and to make a decision about our present life, and more importantly, a decision about our eternal destiny. Given the enormous consequences which are at stake, we owe it to ourselves to clearly understand who is asking the question and what the various potential answers entail. With all things being considered, this question and the various answers form the nail upon which the substance of the ages hang upon. This being the case, let each and every man, woman, and child take heed how they will answer the question, Who do you say I am? Let's pray. 
Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would go out among those who listen and prepare the way. I pray that by your grace, your Spirit would break through any hardness of heart and would make fertile a soil whereby your word as it is received will be implanted, will take root, blossom, and bring fruit unto repentance, confession, faith, redemption, growth, sanctification, and ultimate salvation to eternal life, peace, and joy forevermore. In Jesus' name, Amen. Now the all-important question which is the focus of this episode is the question posed by Jesus himself. This question and its various answers are part of a larger overall search to correctly identifying who Jesus is. In the first installment to provide evidence to correctly answering this question, we took a look at the myriad of historical prophecies found throughout the Old Testament which provide specific details about Jesus' birth, life, ministry, crucifixion, and death. In that episode entitled, Jesus the Messiah Has Come, we listed 48 of about 300 prophecies which, taken in totality, provide virtual mathematic certainty for the positive identification of Jesus of Nazareth as being the awaited Messiah of Scripture. In this installment, we intend to look directly at the statements and actions of both Jesus of Nazareth as well as those around him to see what claims he and those who knew him were making regarding his identity. The statements and actions and questions are found in context in the following passages. Matthew chapter 16 verses 13 through 17, Mark chapter 8 verses 27 through 30, and Luke chapter 9 verses 18 through 23. In these scriptures, the dialogue of each may be paraphrased best according to Matthew as follows. Quote, when Jesus came into the coasts of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Unquote. In this case, in order to answer the question, Who do you say I am? we need to start at the beginning and carefully work forward in order to understand whether any proposed answer is scripturally accurate or not. In order to do so, we begin with the question itself, Who do you say I am? Upon reviewing the above verse, it would be helpful to ask some basic questions. Let us ask and answer these questions applying the following criteria. 1. From what source do we get the question and answer? A. Man's answer, an ancient manuscript called the Bible, which some claim to be God's word. 
B, the answer from God's outcalled ones, his church, his sheep, is the Bible, God's inspired word. 2. Who is asking the question? A. Man's answer, an unknown person writing and attributing the words to Jesus. B. God's outcalled ones, his church, his sheep, the Bible, Jesus of Nazareth. 3. Who is Jesus? A. Man's answer, 1. A legend, 2. A wise man, 3. A philosopher, 4. A prophet, 5. A great man, 6. A bad man, 7. A misunderstood man, 8. A lunatic, 9. A liar. B. The answer from God's outcalled ones, his church, his sheep, or the Bible and those who have God's spirit of discernment. From that source, we have answer 10, Jesus is Lord, the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, as is later confirmed in the same passage by Jesus himself. 4. Who is Jesus asking? A. Man's answer, his disciples, i.e. those who follow him. B. The answer from God's outcalled ones, his church, his sheep, the Bible and immediately his disciples, or by extension, everyone. So far we have asked the question posed by Jesus, Who do you say I am? We have also begun to address the question with ten possible answers identifying Jesus variously as either a legend, a wise man, a philosopher, a prophet, a great man, a bad man, a misunderstood man, a lunatic, a liar, or God. Once we add the tenth possibility that Jesus is, or could be God, we then expand our discussion from the initial specific question posed of, Who do you say I am? to a broader, more general question of, Is there a God? After all, in order to entertain the idea that Jesus could be God, as opposed to the other nine options, we must also accept the possibility that there is a God and that Jesus is that God. Now, the focus of this episode is not intended to prove or disprove the existence of God, per se, since time prohibits. Instead, for the time being, a cursory general discussion of the existence of God will have to suffice. That being said, when we discuss the issue of the existence or non-existence of God, the beliefs espoused will break down into three predictable categories. 1. There is no God. 2. Man invents God as he needs him, moment to moment, occasion to occasion. And 3. There is only one God. Let's take a closer look at the above three criterion and examine them. 1. There is no God. If by chance this statement describes you, then I would ask, why are you listening? One answer is that you might be looking for fodder for which to argue your position which is entrenched with the irrevocable belief that there neither is nor could there be a God. 
If this describes your basic position, then by definition we may safely say that you have arrived and that you have achieved total conscious revelation of all knowledge possible. You have the advantage of having personally looked and thoroughly examined all areas of the universe without exception. You have been in and out of time, space, and matter throughout every dimension possible. As a result of knowing all things possible, you now are in a position to declare with complete and total certitude that there never was, is not now, nor will there ever be the possibility of God. On the other hand, if this does not describe you, then perhaps it would be more accurate to describe your position as saying, I'm not positive, but I think that the existence of God is a possibility. 2. Man invents God as he needs him, moment to moment, occasion to occasion. This statement describes a large segment of mankind. The statement basically says God is relative and accuses mankind of inventing or adopting the God of his choice for a myriad of reasons. In this scenario, God exists, but only in a nebulous, generic sense of whatever each person imagines or needs God to be for the given occasion. Because God is a product of man's imagination in this scenario, it follows that God can constantly be reinvented, bent, molded, updated, and rearranged to fit the specific needs of each person. This camp does not deny God or his existence except when anyone tries to suggest that God exists and is defined and revealed according to his own sovereign will, regardless of what man has to say. We see, for example, from a biblical perspective that this position is clearly anti-scriptural. Yet, despite this fact, we see from a scriptural standpoint that all too often, even those who call themselves Christians fall prey to saying they are followers of Christ, while simultaneously they go about attempting to redefine and reinterpret Scripture, and ultimately God Himself, in order to qualify themselves as being Christian so that they can maintain certain aspects of sin and rebellion in their lives. Whatever the case, whether one is secular or whether one is a cultural Christian, when we entertain the concept of inventing God, either there is no God and we are attempting to invent one whole cloth, or there is a God and we are interpreting rather than inventing God. If we are interpreting God, then the fact remains there is a God who does exist, and the question is whether we are interpreting God correctly or not. If we are inventing God, then the reality is there is no God. Since we have already established that there is no way to definitively pronounce as a fact that there is no God, then we are forced to conclude that the issue is one of interpretation of who God is, rather than whether he exists. 3. There is only one God. Now initially, the first impulse would be to make answer 3 say, there is a God. The problem is that that statement, there is a God, is far too generic, 
most of the world would be willing to confidently say yes to the suggestion that there is a God, provided that the word God has a little g and we do not go beyond that. The earlier premise which stated that man invents God as he needs him moment to moment, occasion to occasion, is an example of how framing the answer with the limitation of there is a God allows people to define God in a way that is vacuous. However, when we make the suggestion or ask the question, do you believe that there is only one God? We immediately and dramatically thin out the crowd. We narrow the group even further by asking the same group, who is that one God? This is because according to some circles, God has many names and that it doesn't matter what that name is, how we call upon him, or anything else. All that matters, according to some, is that we have a sincere belief with fervent emotion attached. Hence, once again, we must qualify the answer by defining terms as to the subject of God's identity since the word one is highly subjective. Thus, as we conclude a preliminary assessment of man's beliefs regarding the existence or non-existence of God, we see that prudence demands that as opposed to standing proudly asserting that there is no God, we must conclude the possibility that God exists. Likewise, we must concede that the fact that man has created a shell game regarding the existence or identity of God simply points out the fact that man is confused and deluded due to sin and rebellion, and has no bearing on the reality and existence of God. Once we acquiesce to the existence of God, we can then focus on the heart of the matter, which is the identity of God. This preliminary discussion of the existence and identity of God sets the stage and brings us back to the discussion and question at hand, namely, Who do you say I am? After an initial review, we learn that the central issue which distinguishes the two possible answers and outcomes is essentially man versus God. In the first case, we learn that whenever man answers Jesus' question, Who do men say I am? The answer, according to man's wisdom, is inevitably secular and humanistic. As a result, the typical answers from the world when asked, Who do men say I am? are as follows. A legend, a wise man, a philosopher, a prophet, a great man, a bad man, a misunderstood man, a lunatic, or a liar. In the second case, we learn that when those who follow Jesus answer the question, Who do you say I am? that the answer from those who truly follow Jesus give an insight via spiritual discernment into the true identity of Jesus, which is not available to those of the world. In this case, those who know, follow, and have a relationship with Jesus answer the question, as did Peter, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. At this juncture, we may now examine which of the available options are correct. By reminder, here is the abbreviated list of possibilities regarding the identity of Jesus. 1. A legend. 2. A wise man. 
3. A philosopher. 4. A prophet. 5. A great man. 6. A bad man. 7. A misunderstood man. 8. A lunatic. 9. A liar. and 10. Lord. Let's begin with number 1. Jesus is a legend. Regarding the historical existence of Jesus, here are some sources which have bearing on the matter. Wikipedia states the following, quote, Virtually all modern scholars of antiquity agree that Jesus existed historically. Although the quest for the historical Jesus has produced little agreement on the historical reliability of the Gospels on how closely the biblical Jesus reflects the historical Jesus, most scholars agree that Jesus was a Jewish rabbi from Galilee who preached his message orally, was baptized by John the Baptist, and was crucified in Jerusalem on the orders of the Roman prefect Pontius Pilate, unquote. Here, Wikipedia concedes that Jesus was, in fact, a historical personage. The issue is not existence. Rather, the debate is how closely the historical personage matches the narratives of the Gospel accounts and that of the early church. John Dominic Croissant, who co-founded the skeptical Jesus Seminar, denies that Jesus rose from the dead but is confident that Jesus was a historical person. He writes in his book, Jesus, a Revolutionary Biography, quote, that Jesus was crucified is as sure as anything historical can ever be, unquote. Bart Ehrman is an agnostic who is forthright in his rejection of mythicism, i.e. Jesus is a myth. Ehrman teaches at the University of North Carolina and is widely regarded as an expert on the New Testament documents. He writes in his book, Did Jesus Exist? Quote, the view that Jesus existed is held by virtually every expert on the planet. Unquote. The first century Jewish historian Flavius Josephus mentions Jesus twice. The shorter reference is in Book 20 of his Antiquities of the Jews and describes the stoning of those who broke the law in AD 62. There is a criminal described as, quote, the brother of Jesus, who was called Christ, whose name was James, unquote. This passage appears authentic because it lacks terms like, quote, the Lord, unquote, which would doubtlessly have been inserted if written by Christian influences. Thus we see that for the most part, even atheists have no problem stipulating that Jesus was a historical personage. While these are but a few examples, there are many more to be found. For those interested, I would direct you to the episode entitled, Jesus the Messiah Has Come. Next, how about option number 2, 3, 4, or 5? Maybe Jesus was only a wise man, a philosopher, a prophet, or a great man. Some may ask, why am I lumping the four together rather than addressing each separately? The reason is that all four answers in this category are one of many typical positive labels that the world is willing and comfortable to assign to Jesus of Nazareth. To these four we could potentially add a hundred more which are likewise complementary. What all four and any others which fit into this category lack is divinity. 
Put simply, the four labels and others like it all consciously or subconsciously attempt to strip Jesus of his claims to the divinity. There are countless people, including atheists as well as fervent adherents from non-Christian secular religions, who are willing to admit Jesus as being a wise man, a philosopher, a great man, or even a prophet. Sadly, there are those present today who vehemently label themselves Christian, who likewise, in, in any one way or another, deny crucial elements and claims made regarding the divinity and authority of Jesus. This group has given up the pretense that Jesus is a myth or a legend. Instead, this group gets far more mileage for their position by attempting to surgically remove or reinterpret scripture so as to make Jesus nothing more than a really smart and gifted speaker. Where they draw the line is to suggest or admit that Jesus was Messiah, Savior, Lord, or God. The reason is not one of qualifications. Instead, in the case of atheists and secular humanists, they start with the priori bias that neither Jesus nor anyone else can assume such titles because such things do not and cannot exist. Since these things cannot and do not exist, then circular argument would dictate that anyone who claims such titles or attributes them to another is by necessity in error. Essentially, all of the above options ask those who look at Jesus and his life to at its best assume complete ignorance, or at its worst believe a lie. Let's look at the claims of man regarding the question, Who do men say I am? In the case of number two, i.e. Jesus was only a wise man, no one would argue that he was wise, or that he was perhaps the wisest of men. The question is, did Jesus and others limit himself to being a wise man, or did he claim to be God? In the case of number three, i.e., Jesus was only a philosopher. No one would argue that he had a good philosophy, or that he was perhaps the best of philosophers. The question is, did Jesus and others limit himself to being a philosopher, or did he claim to be God? In the case of number four, i.e. Jesus was only a prophet, no one would argue that he prophesied or that he was perhaps the best of prophets. The question is, did Jesus and others limit himself to being a prophet, or did he claim to be God? In the case of number five, i.e. Jesus was only a good man, no one would argue that he was a good man, or that he was perhaps the best of men. The question is, did Jesus and others limit himself to being a man, or did he claim to be God? When answering the question, who do you say I am, in order to evaluate the merits of whether or not Jesus can be limited to, or elevated above the titles, a wise man, a philosopher, a prophet, or a good man, we will need to examine the statements, claims, and actions of Jesus, as well as the evidence about him. Before we examine these statements, claims, actions, and evidence regarding Jesus, we will need to look at two additional possibilities. 
We will examine these and the remaining issues in the next episode. This concludes this episode. Thank you for listening. Yeah.